When once asked why Abraham was required by the Lord to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, Elder Hubie Brown answered, Abraham needed to learn something about Abraham. Of course, we know the Lord doesn't test or try us so he can learn something. Which brings up an interesting question. What did Abraham have to learn? In this episode, we study Genesis chapters 18 through 23, and we look at one possible and powerful lesson to be drawn from this account. How do you create holy places for yourself and for those you love? Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey guys, we are back this week. Um, I should say I'm back this week. Zach did his solo episode last week. You did a good job on your assignment. Thanks for doing that. The Dove wrapper I have in my hand right now from the chocolate I say it says, Don't stop until you're proud. And I didn't. And you didn't. Can we can we talk about Dove wrappers for just a second? Because those are kind of funny. The other one I have says, Live, Love, Dove. Ooh, a, an interesting spin on Live, Laugh, Love. <laughs> um, I don't know. I still remember, and I was telling Zach earlier this week because we we have this package of dove things, so we've kind of been laughing at the the wrappers. But I remember a friend of my, a friend and I in middle school. I'm sure was we loved one of this this quote that we got on a dove wrapper, and we like you know wrinkled out that aluminum that tin foil and copied it down. It was so motivational. Um still think about it today even though it's i just laugh at it because it's kind of cheesy and the phrase was you never lose by loving you only lose by holding back that's deep stuff you guys (laughs) as a middle schooler with too many crushes (laughs) that was really really meaningful (laughs) anyway it is a late night tonight and i told (laughs) them Until Zach, my brain's starting to go away. So hopefully we can get through this. And we apologize for starting with Dove Wrappers. But we're excited to be back in. Um, continuing on with what Zach started last week as we talked about Abraham. Um, it's a continuation of that story. This week we start our study in Genesis at chapter 18. And we go through 23. And we've got some pretty... I guess we say this every week because it's the Bible stories, but some of the very well-known stories come up in these chapters, and it has been fun for me this week to study them a little more in depth. So we hope that this week um, you'll enjoy the study as much as we did. And what we did is really took these two prominent figures. Obviously, Abraham is one of them in his story, but then we also get to focus on Lot and what his experience was Um alongside Abraham. And so it's been really interesting. And we'll let Zach take it from here. Well, I just, I like that a lot because as I've been studying, you can see so much of yourself in Abraham and in Lot. Um, As we talked about last week, uh, I feel Abraham's desires. And in this study this week, I can feel some of Lot's wrestles and struggles. And so I think this is a great study for us practically because it helps us to kind of navigate uh, our own wrestle between uh, obedience to 
the Lord and sometimes our hesitancy to follow him. Well, and a lot of times we do focus a lot on Lot's wife gets a lot of mm-hmm. lot of airtime in this story. Negative airtime. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so it was interesting this week to really learn more about who Lot was yeah. and kind of come to understand him a little better too. Well, I think one thing that's really helpful in understanding this is to go actually back to last week and look at uh, Abraham chapter 13. This is, if you remember, Abraham and Lot uh, come into this new land and there's a conflict between their families or between their herdsmen. There's too many people, too many cattle. And so Abraham says to Lot, you know what, let's divide and He's generous and allows Lot, you pick. If you pick the left, I'll go to the right. If you pick the right, and I'll go to the left. And in this story, we have a split, a narrative split, that uh, I think we're supposed to identify as we read this story. And then we follow these two stories. It's no accident that, uh, that Moses places these stories right next to each other. You're supposed to read the story of Lot and then compare it to the story of Abraham. Uh, there's a lot of glue between the two. You know, for example, in this study this week, we have the messengers that visit Abraham and then those messengers that visit Lot. And the the wording of Abraham's reception of the messengers is very similar in some ways to the wording of the messengers that Lot, uh, how Lot receives the messengers. So it's obvious that you're supposed to look at these two stories and compare them, not because one is horribly evil. Lot is not horribly evil. Um, he's rescued from Sodom. He's uh, a beloved member of Abraham's family. And so this isn't between someone that's horribly wicked and someone that's perfectly righteous. Uh, but it is a story between about choices. So when they separate, uh, Lot makes a deliberate choice where he gets to live. And this is verse 12, and it's well known. It says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And the Hebrew there is even a little bit more dramatic. It's not just that he pitched his tent so it was facing Sodom. He pitched his tent near Sodom. As they look out on all of this land, Lot makes the choice to leave at the beginning of the chapter the place of the altar and to go towards this city and to live close to the city. And then, of course, in chapter 14, verse 12, now Lot lives in Sodom. And it's not a good experience for him. He gets robbed, kidnapped, taken away. Abraham has to come and rescue him. But he still chooses to live in Sodom. And so now we speed up to our study this week. And in chapter 19, verse 1, Lot is sitting uh, at the gate of the city, which probably indicates that Lot is a leader of the city. It's a, a Hebrew phrase for being a leader if you sit at the gate of the city. And so he pitched his tent near Sodom, then he lives in Sodom, and now he's a a city or a community leader in Sodom. And his choice to attach himself to this city is what causes so much of his stress and anxiety and the problems that come in his family because he made this choice. Again, it's not because Lot is inherently an evil person, but he's chosen something, continues to choose something that causes him a lot of pain and heartache. Well, and we know that just, I mean, 
chapter 19 alone, as we get to the end of it, turns a little bit crazy, where which much of the Bible does, of course. But um, this story, too, I, I mean, I've read it before, but this time I had a little bit of um, helpful commentary that I read that felt a lot like, Zach, what you're talking about, but it mentioned that the daughters and Lot, that the daughter's immoral plan was not only an act of desperation, but also the inevitable result of minds immersed in and perverted by a godless society. And so I thought that helped me understand a little bit more because I've always just been so confused by that story. Um, but it also, I think, is something that we need to be careful of. We will often talk about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there and um, use it as a physical separation of place. And the impression that I had as, as I read these stories and as I thought about it was that it's really more, I think, of a spiritual separation and maybe be more aware of where we spiritually are facing and where we're spiritually setting our place because certainly there's just so much good in our world around yeah, us. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great point. Um, in the next chapter, in chapter 21, Abraham goes and lives in a city with other people, but he does something there different from what Lot does to make this place that he's in a spiritual place. And so I love this, that it's not necessarily about the physical place or the physical aspect. This isn't an axe that we're supposed to use to chop down other people or communities, uh, but it's it's a good lens to use to be cautious about what we're what we're thinking and feeling in our places. Well, and learning and noticing Adam and Eve building altars and the this repetition of people building altars in the places they go, and we see that multiple times with Abraham in these chapters too. I think that's important to note. Well, that is. I love it. <laughs> so that's the other side of the story. So Lot makes this choice to go and live in the city and he clings to this city. Abraham, of course, makes a different choice. So back in chapter 13, after Abraham chooses his place, he goes to the plain of Mamre. Um, and the first thing he does there is to build an altar. In fact, it's it's interesting. There is um, the plain of Mamre is how it's translated in the King James. Uh, the Hebrew word there actually is a tree. He goes to this probably iconic, big, large tree, at least big for a, for a desert community. Um, and that's where he pitches his tent and he builds an altar there. And uh, there's a place in the Middle East currently that in Mamre that there's a tree that people think uh, is this tree it still exists in 2019 it fell down but they've set it back up and there's a new tree growing and anyway it's it's a fascinating kind of nerd foray into uh, archaeology and connecting the present to the past but that's the first thing abraham does is he builds an altar and then we have chapters 15 and 16 and 17 that are all about these incredibly spiritual things that have there that happen at this place. Abraham makes a covenant, or the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham agrees to keep this covenant. And then, at the beginning of chapter 18, notice where Abraham is. Verse 1, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains, or by the tree of Mamre, as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Whereas Lot sits in the gate of the city, Abraham sits at the door of his tent, and tent almost always connotes a spiritual place. 
Uh, think of the tabernacle in the desert that uh, is a is a representation of God's presence on earth. The tent is kind of the precursor to the tabernacle. And that's where Abraham is. He's at the place of the altar in the door of his tent. And that's where he's choosing to be. In fact, he's so uh, adamant about being there that the text repeatedly mentions him not just being there, but staying there. This is chapter 18, verse 22. After these angelic visitors come to Abraham and they tell him about Sarah being, uh, she's going to give birth to Isaac and then telling him what's going to happen to Sodom. Verse 22, the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. He plants himself in this place. And in the next chapter, even though he wakes up and he can see the destruction of Sodom in the distance, chapter 19, verse 27, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And so Abraham's choice is to build altars and then to stay at that place of altar so that he can remain in this this holy, sacred space. And as you mentioned, it's not just the physical, it's the spiritual. Uh, it's, it's his desire to be in the presence of God wherever it is that he finds himself. Well, with my study this week, I was just reading through actually the title page of general conference talks and it i came across elder suarez's talk from this last general conference and the title of his talk is the savior's abiding compassion and i decided to turn to it and as i started reading it realized that that word abiding abiding in the sa- in the savior's compassion um is exactly what it's about that these abraham stood before the lord he built altars to remind himself. It was ways that helped them very spiritually be reminded to connect with God. And I think that's what it's about. I, I've always loved that the hymn, Abide With Me, tis even tide. And maybe that's part of the reason. Just that word connotes for me this very meaningful, deep relationship with, um, with God. In fact, chapter 22, of course, is the the climactic event of Abraham's life where he makes an altar. But on this particular altar, he's going to take his son Isaac. And they there are going to experience something that is so profoundly spiritual that it changes this mount, Mount Moriah, forever. Um, Verse 14, it's said to this day, and it really is said to this day, this Mount Moriah where Solomon built his temple. It's where the Dome of the Rock currently is. Uh, In the Mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. They experience something so powerful there that this place is still sacred and holy today. And so as we talk about these two stories, Lot and Abraham, and the choices they make, the question we wanted to ask ourselves as we study, the question we pose to you is, where are you? What is your spiritual, quote-unquote, place or altar look like? Do you have a holy place? And if not, what do you need to do to make one, to find one, to create one? Now, that's a question for you and for your study. What we thought we would do in this episode is provide just a couple of ideas on how you can make an altar. How can you create a holy place out of a desert landscape um, if you don't have the one that you want? And the first thought that I had was a little bit of what I mentioned last week. 
I've been really intrigued and enlightened by Abraham's consistent, immediate obedience. At every chance he has, he runs. Uh, it says that in chapter 18, right? He, he um, arises early in the morning. He runs to meet these men. He hastens into the tent. He runs back to fetch the calf. Um, and as I study this week, especially as I contrasted Abraham with Lot, it struck me that not only is Abraham immediately obedient, he's always focused on the present, on doing what's most important in the present. And I'm currently on a uh, present, uh, staying in the present kick, on doing what's most essential in the present, because I'm one that's very tempted to look forward or backward or sideways or any way, but at what's currently happening. Um, contrast that with Lot, who when he uh, is asked to leave the city, this is verse 16, he lingers until the three men have to grab hold of his hands and literally drag him and his family out of the city. And then as they're leaving the city, he's still looking backwards, even though the Lord tells him, look not behind thee, uh, and commands him, and this is verse 17, chapter 19, neither stay thou in any of the plain, escape to the mountain. And the very next verse, Lot says, oh, not so, my Lord, but asks to go to this city. And as you mentioned, we give Lot's wife a hard time for this, but Lot has his own wrestles with looking backwards or looking sideways or looking anywhere but at the current moment. And I'm thinking, if I want to create a holy place, I've got to be present in that place. I have to be now and focused on what the Lord is telling me is essential in this moment rather than looking every other direction. Well, when, and when we're talking about that present moment, I think that's been a lesson that I've learned, especially as um, I've had my own struggles with anxiety and depression and um, really learned a lot about myself of that importance of really being in that present moment, that depression is a lot of that looking, looking back and wishing you were somewhere else and thinking of what could have been. And then anxiety is that worrying about the future, whereas if we're really focused on the present time of how empowering that can be. And this is so interesting because we do talk so much about about um, Lot's wife and she was turned to salt. It makes you wonder why why Lot wasn't turned to salt. salt. Um, some, maybe he, he was able to grab hold of the hands quicker than, than his wife. But I've also read some stuff about, you know, that possibly she was really did stay behind or turned was further back. behind yeah, back, or turned maybe. back. So, um, who knows what that really means that she was turned to a pillar of salt. But I think that's, that's such an important lesson for us to learn is that I guess maybe that's the other reason I like that abide works. I think it applies here again, is that it's this sense of, of peace that you are living in this present moment and you're realizing that the savior is ultimately that safe place. He yeah. is that place that we're supposed to be creating for ourselves. that he's that safe space. It's interesting. I was reading in another context this week, uh, the story of the rich young ruler that comes to the Savior. And if you remember, this, this young man comes to the Savior and says, Master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question about the future. And the Savior directs him to the present. Well, you know the commandments. And the ruler says, all of these have I done since my youth. 
what lack I yet? And the Savior directs him again to the present. Go sell all that you have and come and follow me. And of course, the young man walks away sorrowing because he can't. To me, that's an example of this wrestle between present and future and past. This man can't let go of his past wealth and is so over-focused on future glory that he can't do the single thing the Savior is asking him to do in this moment. One thing thou lackest. And if you'll do this one thing, you'll have your future. But it requires a bit of the sacrifice of the past. Uh, and that's, I think it's really fitting with, with what we're talking about here. And probably a struggle that many of us, <laughs> many of us yeah. face. And it just brought me back to that, you know, that question that we asked is, how can... I find my own holy place. And that holy place really is Jesus. That's mm -hmm. how we find it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great point. And that's our second point is um, looking at chapter 22. This, another way that Abraham is able to create a holy or a sacred place is what happens between him and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And this is, I'm sure it's one of your favorite chapters to study. It's one of my favorite chapters to study. Uh, the connect idea from last week, focusing on Christ in the Old Testament, is in full display here. If you want the ultimate chapter in the Old Testament to look for symbolism of the Savior, it's here. Uh, in fact, you're hard-pressed to find a verse where it's not almost obvious that this is a, a, a symbolic representation of the Savior's sacrifice, from the wording of here am I to uh, taking his only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, up a mountain early in the morning, uh, cleaving the wood and putting it on Isaac's shoulders. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the same pictures I have, but Isaac, going by internal chronology in the Bible, Isaac's not a kid. He's probably in his 30s. Uh, Abraham's an old man, which means this isn't just Abraham being willing to sacrifice. It's also Isaac. Isaac knows what's happening. When he lays down on the altar, he knows what's happening and what's being done. He's willing to participate in this sacrifice. So many references to the Savior. But I think, so with all of that in mind, um, it's fascinating to me that this has such lasting impact forever on a, on a geographic place, but also on the minds and hearts of, of followers of Abraham for centuries, millennia to come. And I think the lesson, at least that I draw from that, is if I want a holy place, like you just said, I have to find a way to invite the Savior and specifically uh, invite remembrance of his atonement into that holy place. Well, and we can see these two points that we thought of, this present obedience that you see from Abraham, and then this symbolic representation of the Savior in this Abraham and Isaac story, in the responses that we hear from Abraham. He says, here I am three times just in section, in chapter 22. Um, and the first one, he says, here I am. Before he does anything hard, he just says, yep, I'm here. And the, and the Lord knows that he's going to be there. And then he replies again to his son, here I am, my son. I am going to be here with you. And, and then he replies again, here I am, when he's asked to do something hard. And then I love the way that that just shows that he is 
listening to God right now in the moment. He's ready to respond. And even I thought of just in talking about that being very present and being in the now moment, um, I love that he even names the mountain. um, And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And that's in in verse 14. And I was just thinking of um, what, what the Lord teaches that we should consider the lilies, that God's going to take care of the things. And that's exactly what we see Abraham holding to. That he knows that God is going to provide. And I think that that's just, um, and I think that that's such a powerful reminder for us to also open ourselves up to say that same thing. Here I am. I'm ready. And mostly I'm ready to receive and start to obey and start to try and do the things that he wants me to do. I think it's a beautiful way to make a holy place, to find a way to be present with the Lord. Whatever the space is or the place is or the situation is, can I find a way to be present with the Lord? Now, those are just two ideas, of course. You'll find others in your study, and more importantly, you'll be able to look at your own spaces and places and examine them and ask, is this is this a place of the altar? Is it a place where I can stand before the Lord? Or is there some kind of adjustment that needs to be made? As we think about all of this, one idea for connecting to others as you study this story is actually an idea I got as I was studying a different kind of aspect of the story. There's a, a couple of famous quotes about um, this experience between Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, and I'll have to try and find them and put them in the show notes. But uh, one of them, I believe it's Elder uh, President Benson that said that when Abraham went up the mountain, he went up to learn something about Abraham. And the other one that I love is Elder Holland that talks about the Lord asking Abraham to go through this so there is at least one person on the earth who knows what the father feels like to sacrifice his beloved son. Both of those quotes have something to do with empathy. God inspires empathy in those that he's teaching. And I think that's such a beautiful teaching tip. So if you've got students that you're teaching or people that you're studying with, I think empathy is a really powerful teaching uh, characteristic. I don't want to call it a skill. Both, number one, to have empathy yourself for your students, to be able to understand and love where they're at and what they're doing. And if you don't have that, you ask them. You listen to their thoughts and their feelings and what they're going through so that you care about them and can even step into their world a little bit. And then you help students have empathy for or experience the story that they're studying. So I was thinking of questions you might ask this week as you're studying Abraham, or maybe even just studying this chapter. Um, A really empathetic question might be, can you help me understand something that you find really difficult to sacrifice in your life? Or can you help me understand what you find so difficult about sacrificing things in your life? That might be an empathetic question. Or another one, as Krista mentioned, these different here am I's, uh, to ask someone, which here am I do you most, most resonates with you? Which one do you, which moment in Abraham's story do you find yourself being a part of? And 
And uh, what do you learn about that moment? Questions like that, that are embedded with empathy, where there's a desire to understand what someone else is experiencing, and also a desire to invite them into the scriptures to experience what's happening there, can be really, really powerful. I think as a teacher showing, the other word I was thinking is a genuine genuine mm. curiosity. Um, if we can give that to our students, I think that they can give that to the scriptures. It's a good model to show them. I'm genuinely curious in what you have to say. Let's be genuinely curious about what the people in the scriptures are experiencing and saying. So thank you so much for studying with us. We hope that you have a great study and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. We'll see you next week.